Hey everyone, before we get into my chat with the fabulous Ms. Neon, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Yes, Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Not only is it the home of Hot Dog Club, it's the place to find an ocean of exclusive and fabulous content. So go over there now, check out the reward tiers and see which one works best for you. We got the $1 tier, which is kind of just like, hey, I like your show, I want to support it. Uh, and you get some like voicemails, you get a couple other fun things. You get up to the $5 tier where you get the bonus episodes, lots of bonus episodes. And of course, you unlock the entire archive once you sign up. Then the $7 tier gets you the bonus episodes plus the listener questions episodes. And of course, the $10 tier gets you all of the above plus the movie club episodes. Now, upcoming movie clubs include Tootsie with Tammy Brown, What's Love Got to Do with it with the vixen and for halloween a very special peaches christ appearance for the witches of eastwick movie club the nine to five movie club i just taped with jake shears and karen from finance will be coming out later this week and over the next few weeks i'll be taping listener questions episodes with james st james and bitch puddin there's other options available now as well they're fairly new including the hot dog club weekly zoom meetup which is always a highlight of my week and other reward tiers that go all the way up to she's an executive where you can join brian necht and Lindsay rose the people's candidate at the top tier available also want to mention something i usually forget to mention please hit subscribe on your podcast player or follow if you're a spotify listener and rate and review of course the five star rating is the most uh, sophisticated and you are a sophisticated crowd anyway now that that's out of the way let's dive headfirst into my chat with the fabulous ms neon a russian ballerina stopping on a bureaucrat a perky suburban housewife who just got into scats It's whimsically volatile. Nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you too. How have you been? Good. I mean... Considering everything, yeah, sure. It's been a really illuminating time. <laughs> That's true. It's true, actually. True. Yeah. And you know what? Before we get too far into it, why don't I do your intro? Sure. Dear listeners, on this episode, we get to know the queen hyena, alpha bitch, who's the cop fucker with her pussy stick. She was raised in Natick, Massachusetts, and is currently making Los Angeles a more glamorous place to be. Please join me in giving a warm and wet, whimsically volatile welcome to none other than the fabulous Ms. Neon. Welcome. That was, wow, how do I follow that? (laughs) Can I hire you to just like say that every time I have to do a show or meet anyone basically <laughs> absolutely i'm happy to arrange especially something. on dates i could really use that <laughs> no problem I'd, I'd like to be the advanced man on that that'd be fun yeah that'd be good and also you know like you gauge the reaction because if they're not gonna go along with that or if they're like what the hell's going on you don't have to deal with the date you don't even have to worry right about it. yeah yeah take it or leave it <laughs> what's uh, dating been like in the pandemic for you because for me it's meant no sex since february 13th i mean it's Oh God, I don't, it's, oof, gosh, how do I even navigate this question? The challenges I face are definitely X, X, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, exacerbated. Exas- exacerbated, sure. I didn't know if it was going to be extra califragilisticexpialidocious or however that That too, could, that yeah, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just been a lot of talk, just a lot of talk. And you kind of really get to see who's a total sleazebag and who's interested in getting to know you. Sure. Ooh, I don't know. It's kind of scary. It's a, a hard thing to negotiate. And it's not like there's a rule book in terms of like, well, just do this, this and this. and You'll be totally fine. You've been isolated by yourself as I have been. I, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, yeah it's tough. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely part of me that really loves being alone. And um, yeah the autonomy and the just sort of like unbridled me time 
redo the house and work on a bunch of projects. Go on a deep dive on with Kiss or Dawkins or something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know. I've like been reading more books and just sure. listening to a lot of podcasts. I was actually just listening to your latest podcast with um, Jackie B. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, thanks so yeah. much. Yeah. Speaking of Kiss. Yes, exactly. Kiss has been on the brain lately. Definitely did a, a re-immersion as I discussed on that episode. And we were chatting the other day about Rat, the big favorite of yours. Oh, hell yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, album of theirs or favorite song or is it just the whole thing? Honestly, their first two records are just great. I was never really one for hair metal particularly. Yeah. But I remember when I was working at Pat Fields back in the day, I was, you know, it was me and my best friend who both worked there that were kind of the only two people that were really like rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And I found two rat CDs. It was like CDs, you know, it was like one of those six CD changers. And I found two rat CDs and I was like, all right, I guess I'll just give this a shot. And I just put them on and they were on shuffle just like all day. Yeah. And I was like, wow, rat is great. And it was like, it was the kind of music that no one um, complained about. Oh, right. Because when I would play, when I would play like the plasmatics or like anything else, someone would just be like, what is this noise? <laughs> Rat was like this this happy middle ground of like rock and roll that was easily digestible. Yeah. Um, and Pat never complained about Rat. So I was like, okay, we can we can keep Rat in rotation. And I just always loved them. And they just seemed like they were kind of like an actually good band that wrote good songs. Um, and it's not to disqualify all the other bands in that genre, but to me, they just seemed different. A cut above, perhaps, yeah. And of course, Beavis and Butthead always made Rat. Like, that was how it was on my re radar. <laughs> yeah, sure. And the videos are fun, too. So if anyone listening hasn't seen the videos for Round and Round, they're quite fun. And they got a little bit of drag in them, too. Isn't that whole movement just really drag? I mean... <laughs> That's exactly like I was talking about with Jackie. Yeah, it really is. Right. It really is. And then, like, in Decline of Western Civilization Part 2 as well. It's a, That's a good document of that that era. Oh, yeah. Well. I mean, it's oh, so God. good. Yeah. I've only seen it in bits and pieces because it was only on, um, it's probably on the internet now. I just. Matter of fact, it, last time I checked, it was on Amazon Prime, but for years, it was really, really hard to find. No, it was. I remember because I was like trying to find it and it was really impossible. You know why? Penelope Spheris didn't think that there was a, much of a market for it. She owned the mm. rights to it. And I think there might have been some music clearance issues, but primarily it was mainly her just not realizing that people cared and her daughter helped her to get the idea that they should do uh, you know, a re-release of all three. So the first one about the punk scene, for those who haven't seen it, is really good. What's the good. third one? third one's about the gutter punk scene, I think. And I haven't seen it because really? it was only shown, yeah, like film festivals for a long, long time. And there was Weird. bootlegs of it. But now there's a Blu-ray set of all three. And I think all three are on Amazon Prime as well. So it's a good reminder. I should check out the third one. Oh, amazing. Yeah. But you mentioned the Plasmatics before, and you're a big fan of the Plasmatics, oh, right? Yeah. They're like my favorite band, probably. Do you remember when you first got into them? I do. I was 17 and I was in New York. Mm -hmm. I got accepted to the um, Parsons School of Design had like a summer program. I got accepted to it. I was staying on A Street initially, right across the street from Pat Fields' old store. And that's how I discovered the A Street store and the whole Pat Fields world and really the whole downtown New York culture. Yeah. That summer was really like so memorable for me. And I remember I had this really cool art teacher and I was there for like an advanced uh, life drawing thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
And my art teacher was super fucking awesome. And he was really into music, all types of music. And I was just getting really, really, really into punk rock and like the first wave and, and new wave and post-punk and like all that stuff. Yeah. And he introduced me to the plasmatics. I mean, the internet was like around, but you know, um, that's when I would still dig through dusty old bins of CDs and records and stuff. And I remember buying my first plasmatic CD at St. Mark's Sounds mm-hmm. on St. Mark's Place. It was way more intense than I had even anticipated because I was thinking it was going to sound like the cramps or something like that. Yeah. And the album that I got was Coup d'etat, however you say that. I think that's it, Coup d'etat. That's their real, like, kind of metal crossover record. And I was like, fuck, this is heavy as fuck. And I was kind of, like, really intimidated by her voice and how masculine she, her whole vibe was. And Mm -hmm. I was just, I was kind of scared at first. And that's when I know I really, like, become obsessed with things when I'm, like, kind of freaked out. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Wendy's just always been one of those, one of those really just, I don't know, iconic female just archetypes for me mm-hmm. and for those listening who are not familiar it's wendy o williams so you might have heard the name wendy o williams or the plasmatics but that was her band she was the leader of that band also she worked with kiss a little bit so we have to throw them in yeah exactly yeah they all played yeah they all played on her um first solo record yeah and of course she was in a bunch of movies too right uh, what so reform school girls were there others i know reform school girls there has to be something i'm not thinking of right now but there must be, right? I can't I've think I've always been that. really curious about, I mean, she was definitely older when she started, which I always thought was really cool too. Yeah. Um, and she was straight edge, which a lot of people don't know as well. Because right, a lot of people would like assume because of the, the very like uh, sort of, I guess, outrageous stage show, yeah. et cetera, you know, smashing up TVs with sledgehammers and then cars as well. Didn't she take chainsaws to cars? She blew up cars on stage. I mean, there's nothing more badass than that. Exactly. But I know that she used to be like a stripper or a go-go dancer or something before she started that band because that's the rumor is that's how Rod Swenson, her manager and also lover for a long time, which I didn't know about for a while, found like a back page ad of her like on a subway floor or something Mm -hmm. and just got in touch with her. And that was how the story goes. So I have to imagine there's probably some crazy like porn movies or something of her that exists i don't know i don't want to be spreading any kind of rumors but like she definitely had like a sex worker past before sure becoming you know the rock star that she's known for so right and she did a lot of work to save animals as well right yeah yeah so when we talked about you moving to new york at 17 would that be straight from natick kind of well i actually moved uh, a couple of years after I was still in high school and I was doing that summer program, but I see. that summer was and definitely sold me on, okay, I want to work at Pat Fields. I want to move to New York. And I started recording my first like solo project in my bedroom after that summer. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of got circulated around, ended up in the hands of Larry T who was doing the electro clash um, thing at the time. Yeah. And then he invited me out to do a bunch of shows. And then through that, I got kind of integrated and I met Sushi, who was the then buyer at Pat Fields. And he literally offered me a job there on the spot. And it was like this magical opening to New York. Yeah. And I was working at a retail um, job at the time called Alston Beat in Boston. Oh, I'm familiar with that. It doesn't place. exist yeah. anymore. 
but it was kind of like the Pat Fields of Boston or like the Trash and Vaudeville of Boston. It was like a punk rock kind of shop. And so, yeah, I just, you know, worked there for like a year-ish and made my transition from there. But yeah, I was living in Natick. I had a lot of friends in Boston and stuff, and I was always hanging out in Boston and usually with like kids that are like a lot older than me. They got a lot of those old kids in Massachusetts. I'm from Massachusetts, so I know. That's right. Where are you from again, exactly? Well, I grew up in Sudbury, and I worked at the Newbury Comics in Natick. I think once we talked about how I may have sold you a record at one point. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) I know. Newbury fucking comics, kid. The old Sherwood Plaza. And that Sherwood Plaza was fantastic, uh, at least it used to be, because there was the like rundown, fifth-run movie theater. Next to it, there was a great Chinese restaurant. It it was kind of like one of those fun, old-school strip malls. And then it became a lot less fun. And then Newbury Comics moved out. So Wow, yeah. Massachusetts is a wild place. I used to love going to Bickford's on Route 1. <laughs> Me too. Bickford's is great when you're in high school and all you want to do is drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. That's the place to go. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We had this waitress. Her name was Sheila. And she was just, she'd be like, how you doing, honey? Let me get you some more coffee. And she would just let us hang out there for hours and just smoke cigarettes and... Gosh, yeah. So many revelations were were had at that place. That's actually where I came up with my name, Neon. Really? Do tell. With with a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, well, I, I I now am known as Ms. Neon, but pre- prior to that, my my full name was Neon Music. Mm-hmm. And when I transitioned, instead of really, I chose the name Neon in a sense because it was androgynous, and I just kind of dropped my last night last name and added a prefix mm-hmm. instead of. Um, doing the whole name change thing but i remember jotting that down on a piece of paper neon music and i was like thinking that would be a song title or something i didn't know and then my friend was like that should be your name yeah and i was like fuck that's it my name was birthed at bickford's on route one in fucking massachusetts see bickford's brings a lot of inspiration to the youngins uh i don't know if they're still around bickford's but uh hopefully there's another I doubt it yeah i don't I think I, I think you're right when you talk about making your music and everything, when did you start getting involved in making music? Um, I started when I was in high school, really. I mean, I had been playing instruments since I was about five or six. Mm-hmm. Which instruments? Um, my dad is a pianist, mm-hmm. and he had me playing piano when I was like five or six years old, and I hated it at the time, and I was such a fucking brat about it. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm obviously so grateful that I did that because it gave me so much theory yeah. that I've applied to everything I've ever done. And when I was like 11, I, you know, I was getting into rock and roll and I really wanted to learn guitar. After that, it was kind of just like, I knew I wanted to be a rock star and being in bands was how I started. Yeah. I started playing guitar in a band in high school. Our first show was like eighth grade talent show or some shit. We killed all the lights and yeah. just had strobe lights going on. It was super 90s. I then transitioned to being the singer of that band and I started playing synthesizer and we had a good run with that band. We actually won the WBCN battle of the high school bands. Amazing. Yeah. I won't say what year it was, but um, (laughs) Dickie Barrett, Dickie Barrett was a judge and he, he was from the band, the mighty, mighty boss tones who were very big at the time. Right. I think he's now the, or at least recently was the announcer for the Jimmy Kimmel show as well. For those who need a more contemporary reference. That's right. Yeah. Um, gosh, it's been so long since I've seen him. I would love to catch up with that guy. He was so, so 
cool. And especially with me being a queer kid, like being in bands was really my only salvation mm -hmm. when it came to being able to express my gender nonconformity. Yeah. You know, I always looked up to people like Bowie and, you know, Marilyn Manson was really big at the time. And he was very much like the gateway drug to finding out about like Alice Cooper and Ozzy and all the great underground goth industrial stuff that sure. I got into subsequently. But the androgyny factor was like, it wasn't acceptable. I didn't even know what a trans person was at that time. Mm -hmm. And being on stage allowed me to express my gender fluidity, however you want to call it, and contextualize it. And people got it. I felt like people got me and... You know, I definitely put up with my fair share of bullying and all this other kind of stuff. But once I was in bands and I was doing all this stuff outside of our town, and then um, when we won that contest, Dickie Barrett invited us to open a bunch of shows for the Mighty Mighty Boston. Oh, that's fantastic. And then, you know, we were like 15 years old going on like a little mini tour with the Mighty Mighty Boston and H2O and all of these like punk and rock, like ska and punk bands people kind of started to leave me alone and, and were a lot nicer to me, I think. Yeah. That really helped me just feel like I had purpose in the world mm -hmm. and also just made people sort of like respect me, I guess. Sure. So it really made high school a lot easier because I, de I mean, there was definitely a lot of fucked up shit that happened, but I always kind of kept my eye on the prize and that, helped that saved my life honestly right, right so that's where it all started and then i veered off into a solo project towards the end of high school and through my experience in new york i had a whole bunch of bands the most noteworthy being a band called youthquake that mm -hmm. was kind of like a punk rock queer chord ish kind of band we played a lot of amazing shows um we did a lot of shows with the voluptuous heart of karen black mm. Um, Pansy Division, Reagan Youth. We even opened up for Bow Wow Wow. Oh, fun. Time. Yeah. And, you know, that carried me through most of New York. And then when I moved to LA, I had always been thinking about wanting to rap. Right. I just kind of started fucking around recording some demos. And I was like, wow, this feels great. And it just feels like an opportunity to rebrand myself after I transitioned because I didn't really. I hadn't really at that point. Mm -hmm. Anyways, yeah, to make a long story short, that's kind of like the spectrum of where I started and where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into some some of the specifics of that, or else we'll just end the show. <laughs> 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 but uh, your, your new uh, EP, Queen Hyena Volume 2, right, is out. came out last week. Although yeah. this, this won't air at the same time I'm saying it. So it came out recently. It's it's new. It's hot. It's hot, hot, on the, uh, hot off the presses onto your Spotify and other listening sources one track in particular i was gonna uh ask you about is myra breckenridge and i'm gonna play a little clip of that Bridge. Leave it to me, the 
And of course, to hear the rest of that, head on over to your favorite listening source and uh, fire up Queen Hyena Volume 2. Uh, I wanted to start with that one because, of course, uh, you're referencing the uh, infamous film and book, Myra Breckenridge. Is that a, a favorite of yours? Certainly. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite films ever, really. And just the concept. Um, the book I have, you know, I'm, 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 I've gotten through probably half of it, and it's amazing. Yeah. And I don't want to front like I've actually finished the book, but I feel <laughs> like it's one of those things that I almost just love. Care. I just kind of want to like draw that out as long as possible so that there's something always new to discover with that storyline. Sure. It's a character archetype or an egregore, whatever you want to say that. Yeah, I don't know. Especially when I moved to L.A., I'm just like, this is um, it's just mirroring um, so much that I relate to. And um Myra Breckenridge is is like my fake name that I use on anything like my my Uber and my Postmates <laughs> and like whenever I'm getting a coffee. Or... Sure. And for listeners who aren't familiar with the film. I am Myra Breckenridge, whom no man will ever possess. The new woman whose astonishing history started with a surgeon's scalpel and will end who knows where. Just as Eve was born from Adam's rib, so Myron died to give birth to Myra. Did Myron take his own life, you will ask? Yes and no is my answer. Beyond that, my lips are sealed. Let it suffice for me to say that Myron is with me and that I am the fulfillment of all his dreams. Who is Myra Breckenridge? What is she? Myra Breckenridge is a dish. And don't you ever forget it, you motherfuckers, as the children say nowadays. For a little uh, historical context, I think that was the first film, right? First major film uh, with the trans lead character. Sorry, I just dropped my mic. One second. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it was a drop the mic moment, not the kind that you'd normally. Right? Uh, think Usually about. it's everyone else dropping the mic. Um, yeah, I mean, that. It's crazy that that movie came out in 1969 or something. Yeah. And this is still a, I don't know if you saw the Netflix documentary Disclosure. Not yet. I've been meaning to. It's really amazing. I've kind of stayed away from any real life stuff uh, during this time. Well, it's amazing. It's about the history of trans representation in cinema and Mm -hmm. television. And um, I won't give it away, but it's really, really, really important important i think especially for cisgendered people to see because it's really informed how trans people have been perceived societally politically socially and everything sure tv and film really it's unfortunate but it's the reality that that informs you know how we treat other people and how things become normalized oh yeah definitely so myra breckenridge was really a pioneer in the sense that it cast a very famous gorgeous cisgendered woman to play a trans character which is still being debated there's merit to not having that always be the case but it's when you have an overwhelming amount of cisgendered men playing trans women in film Mm -hmm. it doesn't really acknowledge the real female existence of the trans character it depends what the storyline is about. It depends how far along the person is in their transition. It depends on a lot of factors. I was prepared to hate Jared Leto's performance in Dallas Buyers Club, but mm-hmm. I thought he was actually amazing. 
there's always exceptions to any rule. But Meyer Breckenridge was definitely a pioneer in that sense. And Raquel Welsh got a lot of shit for it. And um, I really, I just respect that creative decision so much. And I partially did that song as a lyric just for fun, but also because I'm in any hopes that people will be like, oh, who, you know, the kids or whatever will be like Googling Myra Breckenridge or, you know, there could be more um, awareness around that film. Sure. It's not very well known. It's infamous to some, been completely unknown to others. So I'm glad we're talking about it. The irony in all that is <laughs> there's a lot of rumors about Mae West being stealth trans. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I didn't really? know that. You never heard that? No, no. I kind of wrote it off like, First of all, she was really, really, really tiny, even for a cis woman. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that doesn't, that you know, not, whatever. It would explain a lot. I don't buy it necessarily, but I want to. Sure. I know exactly what you mean. Those kind of uh, the, the legends or things where you're like, mm, I can't, but I want to. But Raquel Welsh said something about it in some interview that I stumbled across on YouTube a few months ago. Yeah. And she was like, it was shady as fuck because there was a, <laughs> there was a notorious feud between them mm. where Mae West was just, she was notoriously horrible to all the young actresses. Yeah. Especially with uh, Raquel Welch. The limousine that brought her to the studio and to her dressing room also brought her onto the set. <laughs> so the big, huge doors that, you know, they bring the scenery in. Well, she was kind of a piece of scenery, really. But um, <laughs> they, you know, they, uh, the, this, you know, huge car would wheel in, and then she would get out of it, and she would come and sit in her chair. And by that time, I also noticed that she wore shoes, you know. Well, I've got the shoes on today, too, but there she wore the high shoes and then the platform on top of that, and the long dress, so you really couldn't see what her real height was. But when I went over to say hello to her, she sort of extended her hand to me, and I went to kiss the ring, and with that, one false fingernail, painted silver, fell to the floor. And I looked at the hand, and I thought, oh, I'm getting a vibe. I think she's a man. I imagine she would have handled it more delicately now. I don't think it was necessarily, I wasn't offended by it. I'm sure someone would be, but like, I've since heard even more like stories about that there was another film that I actually hadn't yet seen. It's really hard to find, but it's- um, Sextet? Maybe. It's, a, it's another film from that era that has a trans character in it that wasn't played by a woman. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not Sextet. I was thinking about another uh, Mae West film that's sort of infamous. But It's impossible to find. Because, What's it called? Um, I can't remember the name. Someone just told me about it like very recently, and I was shocked that I hadn't heard of it. But the premise of the film is that it was, um, it was buried because the story was supposedly based on Mae West and she oh. had it like shelved or something. Sure. Sure. Well, that's, so, that's rather intriguing. I'm certainly going to uh, look that up and if I can find it, I will let you know. But I get it. Like it was not a safe place to be trans then. And like, you know, there's something to be said about being stealth when you grew up in a time, I mean, even up until just a few years ago, I mean, even now, like, 
passing for me is more a means of just safety mm -hmm. than anything. So if you were a, even a, you know, a crossdresser or something, the best you could hope for is to just be a comic relief, big character on anything. Sure. Even now that's, you know, trans people are still kind of anecdotal mm -hmm. for the most part. And, and you mentioned the, the thing about safety. I mean, of course, recently there was that terrible attack on three trans women in LA and no charges yeah. were brought. This shit happens everywhere. I mean, I've, I was in a situation, it could have gotten to that point, but didn't thankfully, but it's like, you know, the other thing about passing, is just like, it's a, it's a means of survival, but, but it's also like becomes a double-edged sword because so many guys feel that they can just come up to you and say whatever the fuck they want and then when you you kind of can't say anything because it's like if i open my mouth i don't think i sound trans but i don't know some people like it's it's hurt me in the past when i've said anything back yeah like, oh that's a dude or this or that and it's like oh my god yeah it's like a group of guys it's just i don't know it it it, it was i don't know it's more um, like when I was like a faggot, I'm pardon my French, but like when I was just, you know, I, I like the word faggot. So whatever I used to self identify as that. When I was just a punk rock faggot, people would just throw bottles at me and call me a freak. And that was it. Uh huh. You know, I'm, I'm glad that that's not a thing anymore, but now it's this more loaded thing because attraction is involved and sure. it's a threat to what someone perceives as their masculinity. And that's such a like, I don't know. I, I think that that just needs to not enough people are having the conversation about um, straight men dating trans women and how that's not gay and there's nothing wrong with being gay, but that isn't in fact what it is. Sure. You know, I think there's a lot of bisexuality that can cross over a lot of those lines, but typically speaking, even some people like I know that are friends of mine are like, oh, you're dating that guy. I thought he was straight. And I'm like, you're just calling me a man, basically. Like you're not, sure. you know what I mean? Calling a guy gay for dating a trans woman is ultimately just calling her a man. Right. I say this hoping that it might help some people who may be struggling with this in some way, because sorry if I'm getting off to topic. No, no, but, this is, this is, this is, uh, um, this is what I, this is what I'm all about. I like this. You know, you've heard the show. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had guys uh, write me privately who are like straight guy friends of mine who have said like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this trans girl and I don't know how to like come out about it or, you know, if that makes me gay or this or that, the other thing. And I've said on multiple occasions, I said, you know, you don't have to come out as anything. Mm -hmm. What you just have to do is back your girl up and affirm that she is a woman, you know, yeah. and if anything, just double down on the fact that you're a straight guy, you know, you don't have to come out about shit because that infers that there's a queer element to your relationship that may or may not. There's all sorts of queerness and all sorts of spectrums, but most cis normative trans women just want to be seen and navigate through the world as a, as a, uh, you know, a cis woman or, you know what I mean? As like a, a straight girl, you know, and when the queerness factor is always brought up, it, it's really, um, 
it's kind of triggering. It's always just a reminder of like, oh, well, you're not really a woman, you know what I mean? And you're not really a girl or, you know, and I'm not conflating trans being the same thing as biological women at all. Um, but there's that whole thing. So I just think it's really important for men who are attracted to trans women, which is really very common. Sure. Um, to just know that like, you know, unless, unless you're really into like a whole spectrum of, of, of sexual preferences, you're just still a straight guy. And, and all you have to do is just be proud to be with your woman and take her out on dates and hold her hand in public and tell your mom about her. Yeah. And like, it's really on them to dispel the fucking bullshit that is perpetuated about trans women because that it's the kind of thing that goes on behind closed doors when it's just a group of guys cracking jokes about, Oh, it's a dude or Oh, this or Oh, that. And it seems like a fucking cute fucking antidote at the time, but that's how these trans girls get murdered. It's not cute. So sorry to have a soapbox moment with that, but now, this show uh, is all about soapbox moments. You know, it is. <laughs> That really, that really made me very, very upset to see what happened to those girls because it's, you really, I mean, it's, it's just inhumane on every level, but it also, anyone trans that was watching that knows that that's just like always a threat. That's always the threat. And I never lived my life in fear. And I had a lot of people writing me concerned when I was reposting all that stuff. And like, I just um, got this uh, self-defense kit. I, I already had some, some stuff, but they sent me this really, really like top of the line self-defense kit from the Trans Defense Fund. Mm -hmm. And I shared that. And a lot of people were like, are you okay? This, that, the other thing. It's like, I'm fine, but you'd never fucking know. And it's not about, I'm not like projecting that I'm afraid of anything. In fact, I'm pretty fucking fearless and I'll continue to, navigate the world without anyone saying anything to stop me but it's really important to know that um that kind of stuff is just always a threat it's always in the back of your mind when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply back to the disclosure documentary and why that's so important. I'm not going to give it all away, but it really goes into the history of how trans women are always portrayed as like, Oh, it's a man in a dress and it's funny and it's humor. And, and that invalidates the experience of, of trans women. And when I see shit like, um, you know, like Tyler Perry and like certain things that I just think are like, I don't think we need to go back in time and, and, and like, I think for the time that we live in now, I think that that's not really appropriate anymore. Sure. I think there was a time where that there was Mrs. Doubtfire, all these kinds of things like, all right, you know, I don't need to cancel Mrs. Doubtfire. That is that ship sailed, but let's try not to like make more content like that because it psychologically reinforces the 
stereotype that trans women are out there to fool men. Sure. And that's how a lot of men take it as if our existence is a lie. Right. And we're doing it to fuck with men. And it's like, bitch, I'm living my truth. And if you're attracted to that, like, deal with it. I don't know, because most of the violence that happens towards trans women is because men are attracted to them. And then their boy fucking makes fun of them for the fact that or something. And it usually has something to do with that. Right. You know, it's always right. like a guy like hollers at me. A lot of times he knows already. But when I don't answer, then it'll become a fucking thing of like, oh, you're a faggot or this or that, the other thing. And it's like, whatever. Right. So a very loaded moment where it seems like there's no way to win. You know? Yeah. I think there's a way to just be like more um, mindful of the caricatures that exist around trans women. And I'm a, I'm a caricature in, in my own way, but as a person, as an artist, you know what I mean? Sure. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to rap about being, you know, all the things that I talk about. A lot of it has to do with my experience as a trans woman, because I just feel that it's really important to put that out there with my narrative. Yeah. And it's mine, mine and mine alone. And there's lots of different realities to to the story but at the end of the day we're people you know to one of those songs the first time i saw you live which was opening for christine i was really taken with this track That was a lovely introduction to your work. I love that song. And I love the uh, very punk nature of it, very political nature of it. And then in uh, a context that I maybe didn't expect, given the show I was going to see. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And I love the um, deliberate choice of words and everything. Give me an example. What resonates with you about that song? I think it's the first thing that I heard, because you know it was loud. It was at Precinct. And it was um, what you know about chicks with dicks, right? Yeah. Actually, I think I filmed some of it, too. So maybe I'll put a clip up. Because uh, I just got my new Osmo Pocket like the week before. So I was excited to film some stuff. And then I was like, oh, wow. When it sort of dawned on me what you were singing about and everything. And, you know, you look great on stage and all that. So it was like this whole oh. thing. That's why I got in Thank touch you. with you like, uh, shortly after that. Yeah. I don't know if I have a question on that. But because uh, you were talking about how your 
work is uh, related to your experience and your worldview and all of that stuff. And I think you achieved that rather well. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that you picked up on the fact that it's punk rock because I feel like punk rock to me is not so much about a genre. It's, you know, the whole fucking, it's an archetype, you yeah. know? And an attitude and everything. I used to always say like, you know, my gender is punk rock, you know? Yeah. Um, like that was more my introduction to gender performativity, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but like glam rock and punk rock and all that kind of stuff was like, whoa, this, this is a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was actually the first rap song that I wrote. And I was doing a lot of like, um, kind of like synth pop, Italo disco kind of stuff. Oh, sure. Like I, I love success. Yeah, yeah, and I love I love that kind of music. It's like, I mean, I always kind of say like, a, you know, high energy and Italo disco is kind of like my punk rock. And Pete Burns from Dead or Alive famously said about Divine, uh, Divine was one of the very first like high energy uh, artists. And high energy is sort of like a subgenre of Italo disco. Yeah. And Dead or Alive really popularized that. And Pete Burns said, when I heard divine's music that's what i thought punk rock should have sounded like <laughs> and i so agree it's yeah. just like it's just great i love that kind of music but there was a limitation for me mm -hmm. in the ability like expressing like lyrics and being like sort of contemporary and doing something that wasn't nostalgic in any way sure so i was content doing that kind of music but i was getting the bug to want to do something different and to do something that hadn't been done before and to try something that i hadn't tried yet which was rapping the first time i actually rapped was for a friend of mine who is a producer mm -hmm. we were doing a performance together and um his producer name was papaya and he used to be like a really big top 40 producer back in the day and he I, I was having like a conversation with him about like yeah i've kind of been thinking about like wanting to rap i don't know why i just feel like i'd be really good at it and it's just like um i don't know i just like i i love little kim she's a punk rock icon in my mind sure um i grew up listening to a lot of hip-hop and uh he was like well why don't you rap a verse on this uh song of mine and see how you feel and i did it and i it was like a, a short verse and I was like, fuck, this is great. And immediately I just started fucking around with Pussy Stick and the beat and everything was just totally experimenting, just having no uh, no outcome in mind necessarily. Sure. And I just started writing the lyrics. I wrote the first verse and then the chorus. And after I wrote the chorus and I listened to it back, I got like, like I was saying before about Wendy o. Williams, I got scared. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Am I really saying this? 
I've always wanted to hear this, but I never thought it was going to be me. And like, it's like, wow, I can't, there's no going back. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go back to doing cutesy synth pop music once I do that. Like there's no transition. And I was just like, this feels real. This feels right. This feels like, because lyrics were always sort of an afterthought for me. They would kind of just be like anecdotal lyrics that were kind of vague, that would fit into the music and sound phonetically. Sure. That's like more how I would write in like a more rock and roll context. But this is just more free form. And I was just able to say so much more mm -hmm. and all the experiences that I had. Um, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm not young. And I've been through a lot of shit and it's really led me to this point. And I always kind of felt like there was a reason why, um, I don't know, just why everything's happened the way that it has. Sure. And then I just started writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And I just spent like most of 2019 recording an album's worth of material and mm -hmm. mixing and mastering. And then throughout the course of this year, I've just been putting out um, a couple EPs and there's still some more material that's going to be coming out for a full length. But I think, um, I don't know, I'm rambling, but no, that's okay. It, don't worry. It it's a podcast. Like, that's what they're made for. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just felt like it was something that needed to be said and needed to be heard. And um, especially in like the rap world, there's not like enough, um, trans representation they're starting to be which is great mm -hmm. and um, it's uh, ultimately just music to me I, I sure I don't know it's well it functions on many levels right it's yeah. not it's not just a, a political statement right and it's not just uh, something about representation it's it's all the things and th those are some of the most interesting things right it's like a many-layered cake you know the the phrase chicks with dicks is uh, kind of um, a provocative phrase because me quoting your lyric is one thing, but someone just saying that, you know what I mean, is is a uh, could be uh, very insulting. You reclaiming the language, or you know, just claiming the language. How would you how would you phrase it? Because I wouldn't know. I think that's a really good assessment, and I definitely okay. think that's you know, it's definitely the taboo factor. Like straight guys love that song. It's really funny, um, and interestingly enough most of my audience is male, like mm -hmm. according to my Spotify algorithms, which I was sort of surprised by. It's like two thirds male. It doesn't mm -hmm. say if they're straight or gay, but you know, I'm here for everyone. I'm here sure. for everyone that that's into it. Um, and I think it, uh, it's, it's tricky. It's trick. It's tricky to. See, now you're, now you're quoting run DMC and I, but I get that. That's okay. Oh my God. That's, that's good. <laughs> It's good, but it's definitely provocative and it's definitely, um, it's reclaiming, I guess. And I don't know. I, I, I like, like, I love the word shemale. I just think it's great. Like, but it's another one of those things. And there's plenty of examples in rap music that I'm sure I don't need to get into where, you know, what the person is saying, you may or may not be able to say back as a listener. And I think that really forces the audience to consider really where that person is coming from and it kind of humanizes the experience in a way and it also i think confronts the listener with whatever either preconceived notion or maybe prejudice or you know you name it there's a list of or a whole host of things that can be uh summoned up by the use of language by the appropriate person who is taking 
something back that may have been used against them. And, you know, and that's true in many uh, styles of music or in writing and literature, whatever, film. Totally. Whereas a lot of the Italo disco stuff, and I love it too. What I love is how bad some of the lyrics are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's like a whole art form. I, like, no, it really is. The other part of that for me is just expressing the notion that being a chick with a dick is cool. You know, that right. it doesn't it doesn't conflict with me being a chick. And And you're still rhyming. See, this is the pro that you are. It's such a great rhyme too. I mean yeah. it was just once oh, I, I meant right now I was, too. I just meant right now because you said conflict and i've noticed since i start rapping i tend to rhyme more in real life it's Mm -hmm. actually kind of funny the more you do the more you can do i think historically a lot more trans women got um gender confirmation surgery because the world could never accept them otherwise and while there are still plenty of um, trans women that do seek that affirmation through surgery and that's completely valid there are plenty of girls out there that don't mm-hmm. and i never did i never felt like i was trapped in the wrong body personally i knew that it would be an evolution for me and it was a journey and that i was meant to experience both sides of of this and i always knew that from a very young age mm-hmm. and i really loved being a boy with androgynous leanings and i always felt like i had a a, a, a elder female sort of while about me when I was a younger boy that mm-hmm. I would eventually just sort of be a woman. I didn't see myself being a man. Sure. And now that boyish part of me is very much like, I love that part of me, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely, I flipped the scale and, um, you know, I, 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 you know, society socially identify as female and all these things, but it's a lot, obviously it's a lot more complicated than that. And I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't want, I don't want to overcomplicate it for other people. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, you're just talking about how you feel and that's how you feel. Right. So, and and also, you know, anatomy doesn't um, dictate gender. But I think it's really interesting. The fact that so many like straight guys resonate with that song. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that it can have an effect to help normalize the way that straight men treat trans women, you know, not all by any means. There's a lot of really great, really great guys out there. It's a little edgy. It's a little provocative, but at the end of the day, it's about saying, you know, this is valid. You know, it's not, I don't need to have, I don't need to have a vagina to be the incarnation of femininity that I feel comfortable with. And I'm hopeful that, not certainly not just for men, but that for, for girls too, that, you know, there could be just more understanding and conversation and just more like zeitgeist kind of like knowledge of like being a chick with a dick is fucking badass, you know, in my opinion. And it's not for everyone. That's just me. I don't know. I'm just speaking only for myself, but. Right. But I'm not like the trans ambassador. I'm not saying you are saying that, but. Just oh to, no! And I, yeah, I, I know I, I didn't think, uh, and I am not saying that. No, <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's trans girls out there that may be offended by. That. I don't. I really don't know. Anything's possible. Everything's something to be offended by these days. So, um, I don't know. I'm just like living my truth, and it's not always pretty, but it's certainly sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it is. <laughs> 
Um, sexuality for me is very much sorry to keep rambling but it's like no please i think that there's also this this um you know the female sexuality is very much vilified and it always has been and you know like wap by cardi b is so great and like Mm. there's always the backlash of people saying it's exploitative and all these things but it's like you know the the male equivalent of that is like bodybuilding and strength and virility and all these things that society doesn't demonize right and that's a that's see that's the male prowess and also the male the male description of sex acts etc or talking about like that you know we're talking about hair metal before you know how many of those songs are just you know but that's like not even thought about but the sexuality of women at least for me like I mean, so much changed with me hormonally, mm-hmm. you know, when I transitioned and that's probably like a whole other conversation, but I always felt like this even prior to my transition, but even more now that like sexual, my sexual energy is more of a spiritual experience and expressing that has less to do with actually having sex or the act of sex. It's like this energy. It's an energy just like positive thought is an energy or chanting or anything it's an energy the sexual energy that's why i mean sex magic is a thing for a reason Mm -hmm. the sex energy of the female is um is um it's generally more transcendent and spiritual and i think it's received a lot of times as being i don't know it's just demonized like females are demonized for the exact same behavior that men are celebrated for so i think you know um me expressing my sexuality there's a lot of i think um depth to it beyond just being sexy and provocative there's like sexiness really represents um a really transcendent spiritual um thing that is much more distinctly female it's not entirely just female but it's definitely more of a power thing and um would you say also like a self-confidence thing well yeah sure yeah but um, it's like more, art- I don't know, for me, it's like artistic. I just feel like it's like, a. I don't know, it's relating to the god. I mean, Venus is, I worship Venus. She's my, she's my goddess. And there is a lot of healing that sexuality brings to the world. And um doesn't mean that every woman has to be overtly sexual, but it doesn't mean that being overtly sexual necessarily even has to do with sex as much as it does an energy of um it's an alchemical kind of energy it's magical energy and uh, you referred to when you began your transition when did you yeah i started transitioning in like 2016 Mm -hmm. i was thinking i would just start the process and see how it felt I wasn't in a rush to feminize necessarily. I just wanted to be more androgynous and I wanted to kind of just preventatively stop my body from aging as like a male mm-hmm. um, because I've always been very thankfully like a very naturally androgynous and um, I've always looked like young for my age. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well do this now. Mm-hmm. And cause I, it's, it's harder to transition for a lot of people the older you get and the more that your male features really set in. Okay. And um, I still looked like pretty kind of like, I always sort of looked like a twink, you know, I was, was kind of a twink. That was like my thing, you know what yeah. I mean? I was just like a punk rock twink until I became a lady. Sure. 
And um, I started on a testosterone blocker and then I had to take estrogen at some point. I didn't really want to right away, but I had to like reintroduce like a hormone into my body. And I was a little bit reluctant at first because I was like, oh, I want to just take this slow and see how I feel. And mm -hmm. I'd only been on the T blocker for like a month or two. But my doctor was like, you either have to like introduce a new hormone or go off of it. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. And then it was like a Snow White Disney movie. <laughs> like I took it on my birthday. I woke up the next day and it was just like the birds were chirping and braiding my hair. And like, <laughs> I just felt, I just felt amazing. I wasn't yeah. even considering the like emotional or psychological or anything I was really just trying to aesthetically like transhumanize myself into mm -hmm. an alien basically. And I just felt amazing. And I started looking like, I don't know, all my clothes started looking good, like better on me. And like, I, my body dysmorphia was like really coming down. There was a lot of like, like latent, depression and anxiety and all sorts of things that I didn't really think that I had that bad mm -hmm. that were just so much less. I don't know. I just felt so much more comfortable in my own skin. Sure. So much happier. And people were so much nicer to me, uh -huh. which was kind of crazy. And it really says a lot that like, there's still so much stigma. Like, I don't know. Pe like people have so like, you know, the way I used to dress, when I was like a twink, people would think I was crazy and shoot me dirty looks. And then all of a sudden, like being a woman, people would be like, oh, you're stunning. So it's like, I'm, you know, it's like lovely to hear that. But it's also like, wow, you know, it's like guys, a lot of the frustration I had growing up was the fact that men didn't have very many options. Of sure. Like how to express themselves stylistically and you know, interestingly enough, I feel like I have way more privilege as a trans woman than I ever did as a man. Not, I don't, I hate that word man for me, but <laughs> I was never, I can never assimilate as like a cis normative guy, sure, no matter what. So, but I can more as a girl now. So it's kind of interesting. So yeah, I don't know. It happened a lot quicker than I had, than I had anticipated. Yeah. And then you found it when you did uh, a lot of things lifted that you didn't even know were weighing upon you. Yeah, I don't know. I was just really ready for, I don't know. I was ready to really face a lot of things that I hadn't faced before. I wasn't super happy in New York, but I felt kind of like I had a rent control apartment there. Can't give that up. They kill people for these. Yeah. You know, and I had been <laughs> wanting to move to LA for a while. I was coming out of a relationship. Mm -hmm. How long was the relationship? It's like two years. And it was, one of the most significant, it was the most significant relationship for me so far in my life because it was the first time I ever felt like I was really humanized. Uh -huh. It was the first guy that, like, we met. I mean, I was still, I was, I mean, I was like non bi I, there wasn't a word for that then, but I was like definitely very femme presenting. Sure. Um, like, I had like a skinhead girl haircut and I was kind of like a tomboyish girl, but like, people wouldn't think I was a girl most of the time and mm -hmm. i honestly liked like that yeah so i met this guy on this really shady tranny dating website 
not thinking. I was just like, what am I even doing on here? Whatever, let's see what happens. And this guy wrote me, um, do you want to meet up? And I was like, okay, fine. At that point, I figured I just, I was really hopeless. I really, I had a lot of really scary and horrible things happen to me with men. Um, okay. And I was always just terrified the next guy I was going to meet was going to murder me because it mm -hmm. almost happened. And it was like, um, it, there's always that fear. But um, it's different. Uh, the way that hormones work in the male versus female body are so different. Like, I'm, like, I would take a lot more risks as a boy than I would ever do now. Because back then I just felt like, well, I'm unlovable. So I don't know, like this is the best I can, I'll just take what I can get. Sure, sure. When you felt like you were unlovable, you were risk-taking. Was that in all aspects of life or just with uh, men like, you know, dangerous behavior or self-destructive behavior in general? Well, the guys I was dealing with, I never, I never really felt like I was gay and I was never really that attracted to gay guys. Mm -hmm. And I had some relationships that were sort of situational and they were very fun and it was like cool and whatever, but it didn't really feel like I was always attracted to straight men since I was attracted to men. Mm -hmm. I now realize it's like, I was always hard, hardwired like a girl, you know, and there was always those guys out there that were like DL Sure. For lack of a better word. And all you girls out there that fuck with those DL guys, do not do that to yourself. Because those are the men that will, those are the dangerous ones. You know what I mean? Um, there's always a danger. Mm -hmm. There's more of like the danger of like just female stuff now, which is a whole other thing. But back then I was primarily dealing with guys that were very, very closeted about everything. And the fact that I wasn't, identifying as a, a girl at that point it was just very confusing sure you end up dealing with a lot of less desirable people right it took someone that was basically i met this guy i didn't think anything of it i was just like god i hope this guy doesn't murder me whatever he ended up being my boyfriend for two years and he was didn't give a fuck and he never dated a trans woman he never dated a queer whatever and he was just like, I love you for mm -hmm. who you are, whatever pronoun you want. He told his mom about me before. I, I mean, I was like, I was late to like, he was told all his friends and all his family and all everyone didn't give a fuck was so open. Yeah. Like just having a guy holding my hand in public was like, how did I ever put my, like, you know, because as much as it was these horrible guys that treated me like shit, I fucking put up with it. Sure, sure. And I had to learn like hard lessons that I'm glad I learned. I'm, I learned how to respect myself more. Mm -hmm. And I learned through that relationship that I was able, that I was like worthy of being loved. I really didn't think I was. Right. And you can just take that as the accepted uh, yeah. wisdom. You know what I mean? When you're in that for a long time, when you're in that state. So he was a great guy and he was this big, I mean, he was a railroad worker when I met him. Uh -huh. The most blue collar Boston hardcore dude ever. Yeah. Like terrifying looking guy <laughs> and a sweet boxer, everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the most archetypal, like hetero normative guy ever. Yeah. And 
it was amazing to see how, especially in the punk rock scene, there was still like a lot. I think there was like an extra layer of homophobia in the punk rock scene because all punk rock guys get called faggots all the time anyways. Sure. So, um, and there's a strange incident of sort of Republicans and right wing ideology that's clung onto by some punk rock people and heavy metal folks as well. But, um, a friend of mine and I were talking about Johnny Ramone the other day and just like, he was kind of a despicable guy. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard, I never dug into him too much, but like, yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the strange thing is in a scene that you would think would be sort of welcoming to all manner of people because they themselves know what it's like to be considered the freak or the outcast, et cetera. There yet is still within that group that kind of stuff it takes a real yeah i mean it takes a real fucking man to not give a fuck and just like be honorable and i think that's like that's the best of what men are sure and i think that there's lots of qualities about men that are less desirable and toxic masculinity is a very real thing but let's not let's not just say that's all men are you know what i mean like there are really good guys out there and i think it's like it takes someone like like whatever Brian, you know, he doesn't talk to me anymore, but I'll always love him. Yeah. He really made, he really saved my life. And he, I know that a lot of guys saw him as being like, he, he changed a lot of people's perspectives more than I did mm-hmm. because I was more perceivably easier to write off because I was so unconventional, but that's really important coming back to the whole thing around like whatever you know guys who date trans women like don't fucking ever just try to like be behind closed doors with a trans women and trans women do not enable that it's dangerous and those are the stereotypes that are that are bad and it it takes a few really strong Guys of chainsaw wielders outside to really make sure no 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 it's okay it's all right it's you know these things happen what are you gonna do you know it's not like you uh, arranged it it's very wendy o williams i think it is that's the thing yeah your band is warming up they're waiting for you and that's what they do she's here with us in spirit i'm gonna try to close the window though hold on a second hormones does also change your your sex drive and the way that you interact sexually it's very very different could you uh, could you like um, outline a little bit how that how it is different? Prior to hormones, my my sex drive was was male. Do you know what I mean? It was mostly visual, and it was more of like this demon that wouldn't shut the fuck up and uh-huh. was always there. Like you know what I mean? Like sure. any guy on the planet, especially when you're in your twenties and younger. Um, you do foolish shit because you're fucking horny. <laughs> right. Right. And like. You know, and that was half the thing too. It's like, oh well, uh, maybe this guy is like, a, you know what I mean? Like, this is a risky thing, but you know what? I'm horny, so the, yeah. Yeah, and especially when you feel like you're not really dateable, you're sure. just kind of like that kind of thing. But like as a girl, it's very, 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 very different. It's more emotional, mm-hmm. and um, like you don't like the. It's kind of like what I was saying about sexual energy. Sure. It's much more spiritual. So the act of sex is always really depending on the connection that you have. And there's so much about um, safety. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really like men don't consider when they're going out. I'm talking about like cis, like, you know, straight, you know, boy, girl kind of relationships mm-hmm. right now. Um, 
men don't have to like worry about their safety going on a date with a girl. You know, sure. it's a very different experience for women. Right. It's like um, 80% of the guys that hit you up on any dating app. I mean, let's face it. That's where we're at, especially now. Yeah. Um, are just disgusting and horrible. And that 20% maybe that's like, okay, like maybe all this, you know, it takes a lot of like echelons to get to a place where you feel comfortable enough going out with a guy. Yeah, sure. Because there's always, this is the thing kind of answering your question now is like, I would never in a thousand fucking years just meet up with a guy at like my house or his house or like, that's just beyond the scope of possibility. Like, nope. That screams DL bullshit to me. If you're not like, if you're not booking a date for me at like a really nice public place or even just something romantic in a park or something thoughtful. Sure. Sure. That's what makes that's, I'm not trying to speak for all women, but I've always, you know, this is pretty like calm, you know, women react sexually to being around men that, make them feel safe and there's an emotional connection that like for me to get horny i have to like vibe with someone emotionally and feel like there's just a lot more at stake sure you know and especially i imagine for biological women there's like the pregnancy i mean there's so much to consider right there's so much more impact that the female uh, body goes through in sex typically and all these types of things so um yeah and then you know the just general sex drive is like i'm i'm my sexuality is like just in my being right it's like an integrated part of you yeah it's not like i don't feel like i need to scratch an itch if you will exactly or even like porn i don't know it's just like weird like i'm just like okay i mean that's cool whatever but it doesn't it's not like this sort of like uh yeah an itch you need to scratch constantly it's more like this sacred thing Mm -hmm. that and it's always different like the way i orgasm now is very very different it's always different you know what i mean sure It's, it's not like a just sort of click click boom kind of thing like it was before and um i'm so grateful for that i'm so grateful for that experience and it really um i used to struggle with my sexuality a lot because i was just so wanting to date someone but feeling like i couldn't Uh and then just like straight guys would always seem to like want to hook up with me, but it was always like this really shady kind of thing. And there was plenty of guys that I had fine, great times with or whatever, but it was always at my place or or like not in public. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it wasn't validating. It took me getting out of that to realize how harmful that was. And, um, and I'm not criticizing girls that 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 do that, but I, I highly urge all trans women to not engage DL men because it's not it's not behavior that our society should be reinforcing. And men should do better. And there's plenty of guys out there that do very well, and you should use them as an example. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I think that's a 
perfectly helpful and uh, reasonable thing to say. <laughs> uh, How do you identify on the spectrum of things? I can. I, so I identify as a queer uh, male, and I wasn't really aware of the being bi or queer or pan and i don't mind sure. the exchange of any of those you know like whatever yeah. uh, uh until sometime in the last two years and mm. i yeah I, I was with um a woman that we were a couple for like almost 14 years so at a certain wow. point yeah which is crazy to me because also it wasn't terrific long time towards it should, you know should have been over a long time before it was over but you don't know the difference anymore that kind of thing and also i'm very loyal sometimes to a fault that's the Massachusetts. <laughs> That's right, kid. <laughs> We're fucking loyal as fuck. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, People from it, Massachusetts are fucking assholes, but they will have your back forever. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, it's funny because you said the thing about um, things overall sort of making sense. You know, when I did sort of embrace the all aspects of my sexuality, which, you know, there, there was plenty of clues through the years, you know what I mean? And, uh, but you know you don't know that stuff also and i've detailed this in other episodes but you know i was uh, i had weight problems as a kid so when you're heavy you're not sexual essentially that's not how i feel about the world but when you're a kid and you're you know not dating anyone you're just not dating anyone so it's not even an issue of whether you're trying to figure out what you're into uh and then also the thing of uh realizing that oh Oh, that, that that way I talk to some guys sometimes. Oh, that's flirting. That's not. That's different than when I talk to other guys this way. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. There's those subtle things, and I remember when I started to uh, notice that, or maybe acknowledge it. It's hard to say. You know what I mean? As things dawn on you. So nuanced sexuality. Yeah, it really is. It you really, know. Yeah. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. No, not at all. Uh, I I like to be put on the spot. It's good. For, you know, that's what the show's about. It's about like talking right? about very candid things. Totally. I was just curious because I'm just, um, just yapping away about my bullshit. And uh, <laughs> well, they hear a lot I don't of my. Think bullshit. We had ever talked about that. Actually, no, I don't. So. I don't. No, I don't think you're we... very ambiguous, and that's that's a good quality. I was, you know, ambiguities. Yeah. No. Listen. Thank you. I uh, I appreciate the interest. I. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think that's what's interesting about you because you're you're. Um, you're very queer friendly, like if not predominantly, it seems with your content, but it's not, it's not like a typical LGBT kind of thing. Either. Like you have this ambiguity about you that's exemplary. It's very, um, it's just very inclusive and, and interesting. And thank you. It doesn't, um, I don't like really anything that's too much of one thing or too clicky or too much of one group or another group or, you know, even, even anything that's just too punk rock or too anything. It's like, yeah. I, I'm, um, I don't know. I'm emotionally engaged by things that I, I think are more nuanced, generally sure. speaking. Yeah, same and, here. And um, most of, you know, I've listened to a ton of your shows at this point, and they're mostly with pretty notable people in the LGBT world and, and really interesting, amazing, fascinating people at that. Um, but you're sort of in, uh, seemingly am, am ambiguous about where you fall on that spectrum, but in a cool way that's just like... That's awesome. Thank you. I think that's really wonderful what you're doing, and I, it's very authentic. Thank you. Listen, I really, I really, really appreciate that. I do. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of men struggle with that, too, because it's like no one has a – I don't know. I mean, like, I definitely relate to being, like, a straight girl more than I ever did being a gay boy, but, like, I get crushes on girls all the time. I mm -hmm. 
jokingly say I'm like a problematic 90s bisexual <laughs> that just makes out with other straight girls when I'm drunk at parties and sure. you know what I mean? But yeah. like bi lives matter too. There is a funny thing about that because you think, or I thought anyway, that when I was confused about my sexuality in my early 20s, because I suddenly was like looking the way that I wanted to look, you know, and then actually getting interest from various people and then, you know, trying to figure out what I was in, you know, all of that stuff. And sometimes then if you're then just dating one type of person, you can then have an identity that you think precludes you from being engaged with uh, any other type of uh, situation as well. And and you just think, and then especially too, I was, you know, hanging out mostly when I moved to LA with all gay or queer people, but it was sort of like, oh, Craig's the straight guy that is like somehow into all this culture or whatever. So then that becomes a sort of codified identity that you're, oh, but you're straight. Like that's not, you know, that's not for you or whatever. Like these weird limitations that you can put on yourself based on your understanding Mm. of your place in society, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think, and just to like rephrase this, like, I think it's cool that you don't wear your sexuality on your sleeve in a sense uh, for you. I think it's cool. It's like your brand. It's like, you know, everyone has their thing. Sure. And um, I think that like typically like bisexuality has always been written off. It's like, you know, you could date girls your entire life and then you fuck one guy and you're a fag. You know what I mean? Yeah, for right. most yeah. for most people's understanding of things. Sorry yeah. for my language. I'm from Boston. We say fag about everything. <laughs> um, I'm never gonna stop saying it. So. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and like, also you're saying it in a way that where like there's a, a sort of persecutive or pu- persecution aspect to it, or like the perceived uh threat of how you will be perceived if you did try something that you weren't uh, sort of known for or as part of, you know, the uh, sexual identity that you think you are or all that stuff. So in a way, that word choice is fairly apt because you're talking, you know, about someone being uh, sort of uh, heckled for it. And that's the thing. Yeah, it's like I saw this. I feel like it was a meme or something, but it was like, and this this is so true. I feel like a girl that hooks up with another girl is still seen as straight. Sure. But a guy, a straight guy who hooks up with a guy is just like instantly gay. <laughs> right. So it's like the idea of bisexuality in a lot of people's heads like doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. And it's a double standard. That right. if you're a straight guy, that you know, seemingly straight guy that's like bisexual or whatever. If you're just a guy that's bisexual, you're really just gay. And if you're a girl that's bisexual, you're really just straight. Right. No, that's um, a, a, co- a common misconception. And it's a, a really destructive one too. It's kind of like, that really permeates so many like things. Right. Um, I don't venture to say I'm bi because I'm, I, I like being problematic fake bi. I just think it's like funnier. <laughs> sure. It's a good line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm actually saving my virginity for uh, Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Look, that's fair enough. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone can fault you for that. Yeah. But, <laughs> I feel like I can't, uh, maybe you could really like illuminate this a lot more, but I feel like there's more legitimacy around bisexuality nowadays. Yes. Do you feel? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Of course, you know, that's uh, one of those things where maybe it's hard for me to say because I'm more either aware of it or a part of posting about being bi. Do you know what I mean? So maybe my perspective is a little colored by that, but I really do think that it is much more 
if not not accepted i don't know if that's the word visible visible and understood yeah. visible and understood i think is the uh the key to that particularly you know with sexuality in general you know with younger folks they seem to have a more mm-hmm. nuanced understanding of things which is you know great so that i think continually infuses the culture despite the fact that there's a lot of the culture in america that <laughs> seems to not want to know anything about that but that it's hard to parse out what is and what isn't but overall i think yes yeah i mean on the flip side of that i mean it's just so nuanced yeah you know i think a lot of things in our culture are really lacking nuance but like specifically i mean you know even just to go even further it's like there's there's guys out there that may like experiment and i usually think that word is really not the like a good word but there can you know you can still be a straight guy and like fuck a guy and not not even be bi I was going to ask you something actually like oh, this, yeah. um, the, and I'm going to sound like such a boomer for asking this, but like <laughs> the, the term pansexual, Yeah, how do you differentiate that from, from, from bi? I think because, well, here's what I think it means that it, it means that you, nothing, you don't rule anything out based on a hard and fast definition of what the other person is. That's how I come to understand it. And, but I also consider that to be queer and that might be different than someone else's um, definition of queer. So uh, a lot of times, you know, when asked, I, I say the three things, bi, pan, or queer. Because uh, I tend to say queer first because I like it has a nice yeah. ring to it. I was just going to say, I'm sorry. Did I, did I, did I somehow oh, uh, no. use the word bi in, in lieu of queer? Because I, I, you did say that. Oh, I, no, no. That, that's okay. No, you said, I think, I think you said bi, but that doesn't matter because it's, it's still a valid question, right? So yeah. what, what's the difference between that and, and bi or, or queer in that? To me, they're all um, interchangeable, except that I understand that some people have issues with the definition bi because it's um, essentially binary. Oh, okay. I like queer best because a it has the um, you know the historical uh, all the stuff attached to it through the years, yeah. and it's um, it's ambiguous. Yeah, it's exactly it's ambiguous. To me, there's not a distinction between the uh, two of the ban uh, ban ban <laughs> ban sexual is totally different. Pan and queer, I find are to me the same, and others might have a different uh, thing about that. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, I remember growing up in Boston and queer was like the equivalent of the word faggot. And right, now right. that's why I kind of, I'm just like, hey, we can take anything back so if we choose to. I don't think we should be afraid of these, these words if, if we're using them. Because clearly, queer became a pretty political identity. I mean, it's like a, yeah. it's a socially accepted sort of sexuality and i think that there's something really cool about that taking something that's like used to offend you and being like nope sorry yeah. it doesn't offend it's not offensive anymore right it's not offensive like, we, we love it thank you so, yeah yeah i don't know it's really like i just i mean it's like i can play it out in my head being like a little kid and be like fucking what are you fucking queer over there you fucking <laughs> yeah fucking queer over there. that's so fucking queer dude fucking yeah. are those fucking queers yeah. What are those fucking shoes you're wearing, kid? You're the fucking queer. You look like a fucking queer. They would, I mean, that was... Yeah, those are classic uh, expressions. If, especially Massachusetts accent with that. It's like a queer. It's it's a very specific. Yeah, it's, almost, it's like queer almost. Yeah. If someone from England, but they would sound much more uh, dignified and uh, highbrow saying it. I love the like Massachusetts fucking thing now that I don't hear it anymore. 
It's like, oh, so sure. Dramatic. There's a fun like when I was around it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm never talking like that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you know, yeah. my parents weren't from there though too. So it was, I just didn't um, hear it in my house. Same. Um, my parents are from Canada. So I, it didn't uh, ah, okay. pop up in the house. Where are your folks from? My mom's family's from Montreal, Quebec. Oh, wow. Cool. My folks are both from Nova Scotia. And then my dad's Dominican. That's a cool um, international combination. Yeah, it's really interesting. My genealogy is insane. My, I mean, my dad's side is um, predominantly African, Cameroon, mm-hmm. and Spain. And um, it looks like there's quite a bit of like Sephardic Jew uh-huh. in that lineage, which is really interesting. And then there's just a whole hodgepodge of like a little bit of everything ever. Yeah. Um, but it's like mostly um, Afro-European mm-hmm. kind of mix. And my mom's side is like, like her genealogy is 96% French. Okay. I feel really lucky. I, I really love being mixed race. I don't, I don't know yeah. that's more offensive to say, but like. Well, I think it's good to be proud of and and feel good about whatever you are, right? Like whoever, like I find it fun that I'm Irish, Scottish, and a little bit French in uh, heritage. I had a lovely time in France when I was there. I was only there for a few days, but it was a perfectly lovely time. And uh, I wasn't made fun of for not knowing the language. (laughs) So that was good. Wow. That's huge. You seem pretty lucky. Well, you know, I'm just so charming. That's, what are you going (laughs) to Well, that you are, certainly. Oh, I thank you. Well, you are as well, and I've had quite a lovely time chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah, and um, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's uh, lovely having you on the show, and um, maybe we could we'll chat again sometime. Uh, not on the show. I would love to. We got to have a movie night, an outdoor place. And I don't know. Yeah, let's do that. That'd be great because we have a lot of uh, similar movie interests. Actually, in for the show, let's talk just a couple uh, favorite movies because we uh, we didn't really talk about movies. Oh, sure. Yeah. Probably my favorite film of all time is Jubilee by Derek Jarman. Yeah, yeah. Film. I'm one of those cult movie bitches. Same here. Adam Ant, it was one of his first roles. And Jordan, who was, oh God, she's such an icon. She was one of the quintessential punk rock influencers, for lack of a better word. Sure. Anyone familiar with Sex Pistols, you'll see her in loads of photos when they're hanging oh, yeah. out at the shop and, and all she that. She was Vivian Westwood's muse and shop girl. And so it was her. I wish she did more stuff. She kind of dropped right. off after that. But um, yeah, it was starring her, Adam Ant, Toya Wilcox. Little Nell. Little Nell. Who's like the cult movie goddess because Jubilee, Rocky Horror, and Litzomania. It's insane. What was that last one? Oh, Litzomania. I'll send it to you. Ken Russell made it the year after he made Tommy. And it stars uh, <gasps> Roger cool. Daltrey as Franz Liszt. And the premise is that like Liszt is the first rock star. And it's bananas. Paul Nicholas, who plays um, uh, Cousin Kevin in the Tommy film, is plays Wagner. Ringo Starr is in it as the Pope. It's, it's insane. Wow. You know what I just watched for the first time? I didn't, I didn't get through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the Monkees movie. Oh, um, yeah. Head. Yeah. It's fucking insane. The <laughs> Monkees are amazing. They're so underrated. I used to love that. Like, I started watching that, sh- like, they have all the episodes on YouTube. And oh, cool. I love that, that show. That show is so trippy. It really was. It's really weird. And, and Mike Nesmith is uh, such a fucking genius. He's the reason Repo Man got made. He 
made like he's huh. the executive producer and he without him it would never have happened and he got a nice deal for alex cox to make his first film with no uh interference basically from the studio interestingly jimmy buffett is in repo man i love repo man i haven't seen it for so long though i definitely need to i love john carpenter oh god i love john carpenter i love his stuff music too. i i feel like this whole pandemic is like some fucking twisted john carpenter movie it is i sometimes refer to the covid as uh the thing right because his thing is just more eerie than being like overtly like heads exploding and all this kind of shit so (laughs) right yeah exactly i love i love those kinds of dystopian sci-fi trippy horror movies um one of the best and most favorite films i've seen of the recent years is mandy Oh, I haven't seen that. I'll have to... It's incredible. Yeah. I forget the director's name. Um, the soundtrack is amazing. The guy actually killed himself soon after that movie. Oh, wow. Um, it's really tragic, but it's it's crazy. Nicolas Cage is in it, and it's just like, it takes oh, place in the 80s. Okay. Yeah. No, now I'm. someone was telling me, they were like, it's so up your alley. You got to see it. So this is a good reminder. It's cra- It's like this cerebral, it's cinematically, I've never seen anything like it. I yeah. can't compare it to anything but it's um it's crazy it's crazy sounds good to me well i guess that uh wraps up the episode is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go oh i mean i could just list movies till the day i die (laughs) we'll do another movie um, list thing sometime yeah we should yeah yeah, that'd be fun um they're remaking the craft right now how do you feel about that um well i loved that movie as a kid and my friend just sent me the trailer I've noticed when I lower my expectations, I'm usually like the AbFab movie, for instance. Like, I love AbFab. <laughs> yeah. And I was so prepared for it to suck. And it was so awesome. And I think that's my takeaway. <laughs> that's but, a good um, lesson. That's a good lesson because I entered into it with a totally different uh, expectation and was sorely disappointed. So uh, that's a very good way to, to get into the things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, and it was uh, lovely chatting with you, and I look forward to talking to you again. For lots more stuff and plenty more things, head on over to patreon.com slash craigandfriends, check out which reward tier works best for you, sign on up, and slide on in to the Thunderbuns of Hot Dog Club. (laughs) 